Greetings, I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. Welcome. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now, if we choose to. A couple days ago, a couple programs ago, I happened to mention that that vaunted peace agreement in Afghanistan with regard to the Islamist Taliban and the Islamist Afghani government and a promise by the Taliban to reduce their level of violence against United States armed forces, Western forces, NATO forces. The lo and behold, the Taliban had shockingly, unforeseeably, done a turnabout and had ordered its fighters, its Islamist terrorist fighters, to resume attacks against Western forces and the Afghani army and police forces and what have you. Shocking. Absolutely, totally unforeseeable. (laughs) President Trump and Mike Pompeo and making great pomp and circumstance about this fabulous breakthrough peace agreement. And... You know, the proverbial matter of as soon as or even before the ink had dried, that that it's undone. Just extraordinary. Such honorable people. These Islamists, Taliban, and other Islamists. What? You mean their promises don't mean anything? Absolutely stunning And lo and behold, now it's been all of four days since then. And now we receive word from United States officials that they have persuasive intelligence telling them that the Taliban does not intend to abide by their agreement. Incredible. What's incredible? What's not credible? What's not believable? (laughs) Just that again. The Trump administration, Mike Pompeo and the Secretary of State's Department of Secretary of State and the National Security Advisors, and all of the United States intelligence community, so-called, the stupendously stupid, blind, ignorant, criminally ignorant, criminally blind intelligence community, and all of the president's extremely high-paid advisors, You know, not that long ago, of course, his number one advisor was Hope Hicks. Perfect pick. Beautiful, intelligent, 
young woman who has a reputation for being very sweet and very nice. Of course, she has very bad taste in men. But nonetheless, this is the type of advisors this president wants to have. People with the greatest amount of wisdom, foresight, understanding, discernment, godly wisdom, right? (laughs) But all of them put together, all of the king's men and women, all of the president's sophisticated, illustrious, accomplished advisors, so many of them generals, not just one-star generals or two-star generals, but four-star generals and so forth. Put all of them together. The whole kit and caboodle. <laughs> and even after, even after the Taliban <laughs> doesn't about face and launches terrorist attacks and goes about resuming, attempting to murder Western forces and Afghani forces and Afghani police forces and what have you, it still takes the administration four more days before they make this announcement and they say, oh, they have inside persuasive intelligence telling them (laughs) that the Taliban does not intend to Honor its commitment. Oh, my. Well, I suppose we should go by that. Instead of going by any so-called common sense, which is extremely uncommon nowadays. But, again, the likes of some famous and extremely rich talk show hosts who have become extremely rich by being... Republican corporatists and call them what you will. You could say flunkies for (laughs) a couple Republican administrations or more, you know, such as those of George W. Bush and Dick Cheney and this of Donald Trump and Mike Pence or what have you. Anyway, of course, this is news to them, but and to so many other, so many others, it's not just the highest and mightiest, richest, most listened to hosts, it's the others, the other so-called conservative hosts, and what have you. But, meanwhile, three Katyusha rockets were fired late Thursday into the green zone, the heavily fortified green zone where the U.S. embassy is, where other Western embassies are, and there have been multiple rocket attacks, multiple rocket attacks made on the green zone and these Western embassies. Now, when I see and read that name Katyusha, I can't help but think, doesn't that sound Russian? I don't know. It does to me, but uh, I I can't swear that it is. I haven't checked on it, but 
It sounds Russian. <laughs> not to say the Russians are doing that. They're not. It's the Islamists. But as far as the type of rocket they're using, it just has, a, to me, a Russian sound to it. Can't help but wonder if that's where they're made. But in any case, I mentioned a few days ago, again, just like I did with regard to this, and that was actually not just a couple days ago that I made mention of that, about the, oh, these violent attacks by the Taliban. It was actually four days ago, not a couple days, four days ago, and now (laughs) the administration uh, has these intelligence reports. It's so exciting. So also, same point in time, When I announced that, lo and behold, it was at the same point in time that there was the tragedy of this little boy drowning, of this this group of people, migrants, who were in the Islamist nation of Turkey. Oh, I know it's secular and moderate and all of that, you know, just like American progressives, but it's Islamist. And they opened the floodgates for refugees, migrants, to flow through from Turkey on into Greece and on into Europe in violation of the agreement that they had made back in 2016 with Agreement that was, that was made with the entirety of the European Union that Turkey would halt these refugee migrants from passing through Turkey on into Europe. Well, they've thrown that under the bus. Yes, they said, Turkey said, the government, the regime, the Islamist regime in Turkey said that It had reached its capacity for these refugees. And so it was just opening its borders. And they come flooding to Greece by land and by sea. And that again was four days ago. Well, now belatedly, four days later, the prime minister of Greece, Kyriakos Mitsotakis, He said, quote, right now, let's be honest, the agreement is dead. Yes, it was dead days ago, not just four days ago, because that actually had been broken a couple days prior to that. So it's going on a week now since the agreement was dead. These agreements are not worth the paper they're written on. And yet, This nation, the United States of America, and other Western nations, enlightened Western nations, and Israel, time and again make extreme concessions in order to get promises, written promises, signed promises. And the West, the United States of America, and the other Western nations, notably all of the European Union, especially the powers in the European Union and the UK are forever, and Scandinavia, are forever pressuring, pressuring Israel to make absolutely suicidal 
concessions in exchange for agreement from these dishonest, lying, cheating, stealing, rapacious, murderous, destroying Islamists who are hell-bent on overthrowing and destroying Israel and annihilating the Jews and Christians there. But, oh well. (laughs) The European Union nations, they're not going to learn. The Western nations, including UK and United States of America, they're not going to learn. We're just going to go on with this. It's just outstanding. Let's get some more agreements from these Islamist, murderous, rapacious terrorists. By all means, give anything they want in order to get their name signed on it. Yes. Meanwhile, Vladimir Putin, Russian dictator for life. Yes, it's a dirty little secret. (laughs) Meanwhile, Erdogan, Norisip Erdogan, Islamist Turkish leader. They met. Yes, they had a summit. It's very exciting. And it's concerning some clashes that have taken place between their forces. Yes, in Syria. Well, it is ironic, really. I'm sure they will work things out so that they will make nice with each other because Putin, of course, is supporting, backing Bashar al-Assad, dictator for life of Syria. And I'm sure they can work something out so that Putin's regime can support both Erdogan's Turkey and al-Assad's Syria and... uh, (laughs) Just move forward, you know, in concert against those nincompoops poops of the West, like the United States of America and what have you. But meanwhile, the presidents, the president of the United States, that is, not Erdogan, not Putin, not al-Assad, but... President Trump's administration has dispatched crisis response forces to southern borders of El Paso, Texas, San Diego, California. Why? And these are small groups. We're not talking about thousands or something. 160 military police and so forth. Why? Because one of these extreme leftist dominated courts, the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, even after the so-called conservative additions that President Trump has made to that court, which barely offsets all the leftists that Obama packed on that court. But lo and behold, they issued a blockage of the Remain in Mexico policy, which required these so-called asylum seekers, you know, illegal aliens from flooding across the border into the U.S. 
in the United States of America the way we do things with our borders. <laughs> Is that, it's just inept, to put it gently, and that's not on the Border Patrol officers. That's just on the United States of America's federal government. Is that <laughs> we encourage uh, the bums rush from the illegal aliens to force their way across the border. So the administration has dispatched 160 to order, in order to try to hold back the floods. Talk about the little Dutch boy putting his finger in the dike. Uh, it is just great. And they have, the Trump administration has requested that the Supreme Court, United States Supreme Court, not to be confused with state Supreme Courts, that the U.S. Supreme Court issue an order so that this injunction to block this policy will go away. <laughs> will just go away. But we shall see what will be with that. Meanwhile, who, the who, yes, not the singing group, not the musical group, but the World Health Organization. It has now called upon the nations, the enlightened nations, the Western nations, the industrialized nations, the developed nations, and all other nations, rich and poor, to pull out all stops to fight the coronavirus COVID-19 epidemic. Not pandemic. No, it's worldwide, but it's not a pandemic. It's an epidemic, which is a threat to every country. Yes, fabulous. Still not a pandemic. Meanwhile, in the United States of America, the United States Congress has reached agreement on what it terms a $7.8 billion coronavirus response package. However, it really is $8.3 billion. The reason I say that is because this agreement is for $7.8 billion in new appropriations in addition to an extra half billion dollars to replenish an account, a spending account, which has been exhausted by the initial federal response to the coronavirus outbreak here in the United States of America. So total total bill is $8.3 billion, which is only $200 million less than Senate Minority Leader Chucky Schumer proposed, but a week ago. So it's exciting. I haven't uh, seen whether it has been passed by the House of Representatives, but assuredly it will be, and then on to the Senate and will be passed there. So that is known as throwing money at a problem. 
It's not to say that it's wrong. No, not at all. Not to say that that's wrong. However, that in and of itself, even though it's a large amount of money, a large amount of money, I mean, this is chump change for Michael Bloomberg. You know, $70 billion, $67 billion, $65 billion, whatever his net worth is, which is only, you know, what? It's less than half of Jeff Bezos's fortune and significantly less than Bill Gates' fortune and so forth. But it still is a significant amount of money. I could use it. I could put it to good use. Not to play with, but I could put that money to a really good use. But it's not to say that it's not called for here. It is. The question is how effective it will be, how much of a difference it will make. So far, they've spent one half billion. This is going to be, you know, another 16 times that, right? As far as the actual funding amount, the 7.8 billion plus the other half bill. But hopefully, hopefully that will turn the tide. Hopefully. But now, again, in a previous program, I mentioned that Chinese scientists have isolated two different strains of this coronavirus, COVID-19. One is referred to as L-type and the other S-type. L-type was dominant at the beginning of the outbreak and was more virulent, more deadly. The S-type has been spread further, wider, further around the world. This matter of (laughs) more virulent strains. But now, again, there's a more recent story about the very same thing. This finding was due to the work of researchers at Peking's University's School of Life Sciences and the Institute Pasteur of Shanghai. But the lesser strain is still accounting for fatalities. The more virulent strain, the more deadly strain has been supposedly receding, at least in Hubei province. I'm sure you saw Mike Pence saying that the United States of America does not have enough tests for this coronavirus, for this COVID-19. Not only not enough tests, but he did not mention that, lo and behold, that the rules and regs with regard to using the tests has been really problematic and has actually allowed the spread of this infection. And as a result of this, as a result of the lack, the shortage of these tests, there is chaos at hospitals across the country. That combined, not only the shortage, 
but these crazy rules and regs about who can have the tests has really caused massive problems. And (laughs) doctors and nurses are being unable to use the tests, not only because of the shortage of tests, but also these crazy administrative rules and regs. Centers for Disease Control now states that there are 213 cases of the coronavirus across the United States of America. Interestingly enough, there is another cruise ship outbreak. And this cruise ship seemingly did not go to Mexico, did not go to Central America or someplace like that or South America, but rather was on its way to Hawaii and has been called back. And of the 21 people still on board that have tested positive, 19 are crew members. Question is, did it begin with them or did they contract it from contact with passengers? Meanwhile, three passengers that were taken off of the ship, of those three, one of them has died. But this cruise ship was bound for a two-week voyage to Hawaii. It said to Hawaii, I'm, I don't know if that means a round trip. I'm assuming a round trip to Hawaii and back is what I would assume. But anyway, Gavin Newsom, the governor, the esteemed governor of California, he is fighting this valiantly. Before I continue, let me just say this. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done, and whatever is right and true and good in these programs is thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. It's not thanks to the recent intel from the intelligence community. No. It's thanks to God Almighty and His Holy Son, Jesus Christ. Whatever's lacking, erring, deficient, that's due to me. That's on me. That's my fault. And that is due to bad information in, bad information out, courtesy of the great intelligence communities and all of the other sources of news and what have you. But, meanwhile, in the great golden apple sanctuary state of California under the auspicious leadership of leftist Gavin Newsom and the Democrat Party as a whole, as of a couple days ago, they had notified the world that they had experienced their first fatality. And again, that was a couple days ago. So I don't know where it is now. But now that fatality, that person was supposedly from a cruise ship that departed from San Francisco to Mexico. But. I don't know, because that other report made it sound as if that person may have been from this other cruise ship. But, but that report came out a couple days ago. I'm assuming it's correct that it was from this other cruise ship. Meanwhile, in the wonderful state of Washington, Washington State, which has become kind of sort of the secondary tech center 
of the United States of America. There are various other tech centers, okay? But the first and foremost is California, Northern California, the greater San Francisco area. San Francisco on down to San Jose, Palo Alto, all of this wonderful area. But Santa Clara and what have you. But Washington State has become number two for Amazon and for all manner of high-tech online companies. And Washington State is actually the epicenter within the United States of America of the coronavirus COVID-19 outbreak. Now, you probably are aware, you may not be, but Washington State, Seattle in particular, is heavily Asian. There's a great deal of airline travel to and from Asia. based out of Seattle-Tacoma International Airport, SeaTac. A great deal of airline travel, back and forth, as there is for Vancouver, British Columbia, just north of Seattle. I can't help but think that there is a connection (laughs) with this. But anyway, Washington State, uh, I'm not sure how many deaths have been reported from there now. Something it's, I believe, going on 14. But in any case, at this one nursing home where they have had multiple fatalities, what preceded that? A few days before the first infection or first recognition of infection, they had a Mardi Gras party. Now, Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras is such a wonderful thing. You know, it's supposedly religious, Catholic, as in Roman Catholic. Mardi Gras, whether it's in New Orleans or wherever it is held, and it's held in many places, but particularly in New Orleans, is just a vile, lewd, profane, perverse bash. And it astounds me that so many other communities have their own smaller, more modest Mardi Gras celebrations, as they do in Galveston, Texas, just east of Houston, as they did at this nursing home in Kirkland, Washington, in greater Seattle. Well, shortly thereafter, a few days later, They had an outbreak. And now, nine, yes, (laughs) 14 deaths, but those are across the nation. But of the 14 deaths in the United States of America as of a day or so ago, nine of them were directly linked to this nursing home in Kirkland. Rah, rah for Mardi Gras, huh? Meanwhile, There is one note of good news with regard to this coronavirus, COVID-19 pandemic. Yes, who? Pandemic. 
Okay, it is a pandemic. Lie about it and deny it all you want. I've been saying that since the first thing I saw about this. But there is one particularly profoundly good piece of news, of information concerning this pandemic. And that is this, is that children, little children, have not been savaged by this. Elderly people have been. Sickly people have been. But children, not so. For instance, in China, particularly in Hubei province, Wuhan and the surrounding major cities, that huge population center, they're in Hubei province. Children make up only 2.4%, less than 2.5% of all reported cases. What's more, of that number, that 2.4% of all reported cases of COVID-19, only 2.5% of those, only 2.5% of that 2.4% have experienced severe symptoms. And of those, of that 2.5% of that 2.4%, only 0.2% became critically ill. And at last count, none of them had died. Now that is extraordinary, and that is extraordinarily, profoundly good news, that babes, toddlers, little children, infants, they are being spared the worst of this pandemic. It is falling very heavily on older adults. But at least, at least the babes, the infants, the toddlers, the young children are being remarkably spared. Meanwhile, back to the wonderful political ongoing presidential race on the Democrats side, that is. I mentioned previously that Elizabeth Warren, even though she had withdrawn from the race, she had suspended, canceled her campaign, that she had not chosen to endorse a candidate. And I stated at the time before before she withdrew, before she suspended her campaign, when she had gone away to think deeply and contemplate what she should do, I stated that she, if she did cancel, would not endorse a candidate until or unless she was able to cut a good enough deal for herself. 
that, I mean, her options are, for one thing, just to wait another four years. You know, if she doesn't believe that Bernie or Joe is going to get the job done in terms of knocking off the president from the (laughs) presidential throne, wait four years. Run again. But, of course, it's not waiting four years. It's waiting, you know, more like four months. (laughs) But, no, it's waiting until the general election is over. That's right. That's all the amount of time you wait for this. Wait until the November general election is over. And then, if Bernie Sanders, if Joe Biden, if whoever was selected as the nominee between them was not elected, then you restart your Democrat presidential campaign. You do it in such a way that it is very diplomatic in terms of the Democrat Party. You don't go blaming Bernie. You don't go blaming Joe. Not immediately. You can blame them a couple years later, but you know, not immediately. But you start raising funds, fundraising like crazy. And in closed rooms, that is behind closed doors, you can privately communicate to these donors that if they had supported you sufficiently, if they had rolled out the red carpet for you, if they had funded you heavily enough, you would have won the nomination and you would have won the general election. And you're going to give them another chance to do that, (laughs) and so forth. But that's one of her options. The other one is to go ahead, if she is able to cut a good enough deal with Bernie or Joe to be their VP, their VP, that she can do that. And she can hope, of course, for the best, that that top-of-the-ticket candidate is elected, and then the best-case scenario for her that, you know, that they don't live out their entire term in office, right? Terrible thing to say, but, you know, Joe is 77, looks good, seems fit as a fiddle. Bernie Sanders, 78, and roaring and thundering and and also doing the Al Gore lover routine with his wife on stage. I mean, you know, they, these two individuals, they may well make it into their hundreds. But nonetheless, Liz, of course, would be hoping otherwise. She would never, ever, ever mention that. But she would be hoping otherwise so that then she could move into the top spot without having to wait too terribly long. But. Those are her choices. Either to cut a deal with Bernie or cut a deal with Joe. Now, wait a minute. How can she cut a deal with Joe? She is, you know, right up there near the top of the progressive wing of the party, which is doublespeak for socialist, Marxist, 
wing of the party, whereas Joe is just the mainstream socialist wing of the party, you know. But she is making nice with Joe right now, which is interesting. Meanwhile, not making so nice with Sanders. She is still absolutely fuming about the Sanders campaign's stormtroopers who have given her so much grief. And she came out and she said, quote, it's not just about me. There's a real problem with this online bullying and sort of online nastiness, end quote. Oh, that is telling them, Liz. That is really strongly put, nastiness. Well, meanwhile, Bernie's various enthusiastic supporters, enthusiastic. They have taken to calling Elizabeth Warren a snake, you know, like a snake in the grass, and a traitor. And (laughs) apparently are attempting to foment a primary challenger to run against her for the U.S. Senate seat from Massachusetts, Massachusetts, her adopted home state, but rather funny, really. And Liz, Native American Indian Sanders, co-president, Elizabeth Warren. You know, it could happen that way, right? Liz could be his co-president. Now, that would be cutting a deal. Okay, not just VP, but co-president. The kind of deal that dear former president, Gerald Rudolph King Ford, attempted to bully presidential nominee Ronald Reagan to accept. Well, it's not there yet, but it could happen. But in any case, Liz Warren, she stated that Bernie's enthusiastic supporters have made attacks on women of color and immigrant women who led a union in Nevada. And that they actually, quote, they actually published the phone numbers and home addresses of two women and really put them in fear, end quote. What is so fascinating about that, though, is that these extremely enthusiastic supporters, stormtrooper followers of Bernie Sanders, the ones that I saw that were quoted there in Nevada, they were women of color. They were Mexican-American women and so forth. Hispanic-Latino women, and they were leading the charge. It was just, anyway, so I just find that to be a trifle humorous. But in any case, in any case, Bernie's national campaign co-chair, Ro Khanna, What a fascinating name. Ro Khanna of California. He, apparently it is a he. I thought at first it was a she, but 
apparently a he, but maybe not. It's it's murky here, but uh, is promoting Liz Warren to be named Sanders' nominee to be VP. I just thought that was fascinating. She is withholding her endorsement. And it is being sought by both Bernie Sanders and, drumroll, Joe Biden. Now, Bernie is extremely, exceptionally popular (laughs) with young people, the youngest voters, as I've said time and again. 29 years of age, down to 18. But he also has a lot of support among Mexican-Americans. Something to the tune of 50% in the races that have been run so far, the primary and caucus races. He has not evidenced that kind of strength among people of color that are black American, African Americans, and so forth. I don't know how he did among the Oriental Asian demographic. Haven't looked at the data. I'll leave that for the metrics analyzers, you know, the likes of Michael Bloomberg, who is notorious for that. But, But they are both interested in Liz Warren for what she can do for them, for their ticket, to help them get over the hump and beat the other guy and win the nomination. But I think it is debatable, dubious, as to whether Liz Warren can help Bernie Sanders with the black American, African American demographic or with blue-collar Democrats or blue-dog Democrats or what have you. Yes, with the extremely rabid abortionist constituency, yes, but Bernie already you know, has their support. So, not that Joe doesn't. Joe has been a lifelong supporter of that. But, <laughs> again, I, I would just think that maybe Bernie would want to Look for a woman of color who is black American, African American. Meanwhile, Joe Biden, he's very strong with the black American, African American demographic. Just cleaning up with them. He hasn't been so strong with Mexican Americans. Call them Hispanic, Latino, whatever you prefer. So, I would think that he would be leaning that way, looking for a woman of color who is Mexican-American, so on and so forth. In each case, I say woman, you know, balancing the ticket, much younger than these men, so forth. But Liz Warren, she doesn't do that for either campaign. No. Oh, but wait a minute. She is a woman of color. She's a very pale woman of color, but a woman of color because she claims to be a Native American Indian. Keep forgetting about that with Liz. But anyway, she says of Joe Biden, he's a decent guy. Of 
Of course, Bernie Sanders said virtually exactly the same thing. But, but that she has disagreements with him on matters of policy, but he's a decent guy. So she's keeping her options open. Play Biden against Sanders, Sanders against Biden. So anyway, she stated that she didn't have interest in the vice presidency. The job of senator is a good job, she said. As a matter of fact, the job of teacher is a good job. Yes. And if she keeps her powder dry, if she stays out of it and waits to see what happens, lo and behold, she will not curry the favor of either one of these. But that is still one way to play it. She could hope against hope against hope for a divided, contested convention and being drafted on the third round or fourth round or 10th round or 100th go-round. Now, I think that would be, that's a pipe dream, but nonetheless. So, we shall see. So exciting. Meanwhile, Jill Biden, the better half, I think absolutely the better half of (laughs) Joe Biden, but mother of his deceased son, Beau, who died tragically, Jill Biden referred to Kamala Harris, U.S. Senator from California, Kamala Harris, who ran for the presidential nomination, dropped out some time ago. Woman of color, black American, African-American, former California Attorney General, who immediately performed a sodomite marriage ceremony after the abominable U.S. Supreme Court delivered their abominable decision legalizing a legal fiction. But various names were mentioned as possible VPs, VP picks for Joe. One was Kamala Harris. Another was Pete Sodomite Buttigieg. Another was, surprisingly enough, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. Not U.S. Senator Amy Klobuchar, but Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer. So, Jill said the following, quote, Everyone you mentioned would be a great, Let me repeat that. End quote. Let me repeat that. Everyone. Kamala Harris, Pete Sodomite Buttigieg, Michigan Governor Gretchen Whitmer, everyone would be a great pick. (laughs) There is not a Democrat in the United States of America that would be a great pick for vice president or president. There isn't one. The Democrat Party is the evil party. But, anyway, Jill being very diplomatic there. But she was not feeling too good about Kamala Harris after the way Kamala really sucker-punched Joe. And I believe it was the first debate. 
But Joe Biden said the following when Kamala dropped out of the race. He said, quote, we lost a really good one, the senator from California. She is capable of being president or vice president or the or on the Supreme Court or attorney general, meaning in charge of the Department of Justice. Her capacity is unlimited, end quote. Really? Well, attaboy, Joe. A great, great American. He's now on top. He is the person identified as being the one with the best shot at beating Trump. And there was a recent poll conducted which came up with him being preferred 55% to 45%. But then when they asked concerning the most electable between the two of them, he came out in favor two to one over Sanders. We'll see. I'm Brad Thomas, and this is After All is Said and Done. After all is said and done, then we will know, won't we? But perhaps we can know now if we choose to. Thank you.